0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com
1: B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B-Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca
2: you have to listen and not just listen like you're sitting there and the person's talking and you're sitting there, but really think about what they're saying and realize who you are and what your position is and what can you do for that person. Ask the important questions, uh, reflect, and realize that you're learning, you know, and only after you listen and learn what you need to learn, can you then actually lead.
0: thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Jennifer Quattrucci is the proud principal of Greystone Elementary in North Providence, Rhode Island. She's also the proud wife of an educator and the mom of two amazing children ages 16 and 12. Jennifer is also a blogger and author. Her book, Educate the Heart, is full of resources for screen-free activities for students. I can't wait to talk to Jennifer today. It's been kind of a long time coming with scheduling and things like that, but she has all kinds of good stuff she's gonna tell us today and be really helpful for educators, so welcome, Jennifer.
2: Hi, hello there, good morning, how are you?
0: I'm well, thanks. I'm I'm glad we finally got to talk.
2: Yes, it's it was a long long time and I mean I've been following you forever and ever and ever. Um so I was so thrilled when you asked me to be here, but it seemed like it was always the wrong time because school was starting and then my own I was finishing my masters classes. And then I was studying for my principal certification exam. And then all of a sudden I became a principal. <laughs> so that's why I looked at the calendar. I said, well, then I, have February vacation. So this week our kids are home. So uh, this looked like a perfect week and it is a perfect week. So thank you for awesome. asking and for waiting. <laughs>
0: no, it's, it's definitely well worth the wait. I'm, and so why don't we just start there? I mean, you, you've had all this stuff going on. You've recently become a principal. And so why don't you fill us in a little on why, how come <laughs> you, moved this, you moved to principal and what brought that about and how's it going for you?
2: Oh, well, yeah, so about two years ago around COVID time, around when we first all, so yeah, like two years in March, um, when we all closed down for COVID, for some reason in mine, I never, never in all of my, I then at, at that point, I had been teaching for 25 years and I did kindergarten for most of the time for about 20 and then second grade. Well, before kindergarten, I did library science, but so I was, you know, classroom teacher and I loved, I loved teaching. And I say, I love teaching because I still, I still get into the classrooms and I've still taught lessons now as a principal. But during that time of being home, I I did so, so much work, not just for me in my class, but for the school, mostly geared toward the social emotional learning component, which we all needed at that time. And because at that point I had just started up a committee at our school based on my book and so pulling resources, but it was so much more so when we closed for COVID because the need was so much more. You know, to really get those um, the check-ins for having kids develop wellness plans. I mean, all of that. I even did a um, a webinar during that time called "Making Connections during during either in class or during virtual learning." Because there, you know, the, a lot of ways a lot of ways to make connections is, were not just virtual or just in class. It was just. Um, strictly like getting to the heart of what do these kids need. So anyway, I felt like I was doing so much more, but also I felt like it was appreciated. Like so many teachers from my school that I never really knew very well. And uh, <laughs> and I didn't really I think they even <laughs> liked me. And they were like, wow, thank you for these resources. And it's so great. And Even at like faculty meetings, people would say thank you, Jen Quartucci, for this, that, and the other thing. They had written about me in my district newspaper. Like it was just, I felt like wow, I'm making a difference, and it's not just for kids, but I'm also helping teachers. And the next thing I knew, I decided I wanted to be a principal because the only way I could really make the difference and the impact that I wanted to was to be in a decision making. Role. So I really felt like I could only go so far being under my administrators or just any administrator. I had ideas, I had a vision that I knew I needed to be a leader. So, right after, so I enrolled in college and I found a virtual one because that was the, don't forget, the beginning of COVID. It's like literally March 2020. And I enrolled at Lamar University, which was highly recommended. I have a friend. Christopher, who, um, another Chris, (laughs) who (laughs) had graduated from there and always spoke highly of it. I asked around a few other people and it just kept, people kept coming back to Lamar. So, um, and I'm very happy because I felt, I feel like they really prepared me well. It was an accelerated program, 10 classes. And um, I started right away, right during that time. And I finished in September of 2021. But then I had to take the Rhode Island certification exam. And that was like a whole other, you know, ordeal. And but I did it and I did it just in time for this position to come up in North Providence, which I was so excited about, because it really feels like the perfect, it felt like the perfect fit at my interview. And now being here all this time, I think like seven or eight weeks, it really feels like this is where I like, this is where I belong. So that's how it
0: happened. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I mean, what a great story of how you just kind of rolled into it. A couple of things stood out to me when you said that. You talked about how good it felt, right, offering resources to teachers. And I talk about a lot about supporting teachers and giving them the things they need. And some of that has to do with resources. And I do want to go back to that because I do want to I do want to hit on your book a little bit. Have you talk to us a little bit about your book and what's in that? But the other thing you talked about is you wanted to be able to make a decision and be the one making decisions. And all too often, that's how our teachers feel, right? They, they feel like they're in a position where they can't make, they don't get to make the decisions. How to, uh, taking your experience, being in that situation, and now, I mean, you're sitting in the spot to make decisions, right? So talk to us a little bit about how leaders can empower teachers, with that decision-making process, or maybe even how you plan to do it or or something to that effect, because that's an important component for teachers.
2: Yes. So what I feel and what's worked for me so far and what I will continue to do is to make that decision-making process a collaborative one. So any decision that comes my way uh, it's, first of all, it's going to be in the best, it has to be, we're making decisions in the best interest interest of the children. We're making decisions that will support the children fully in their academic success. However, it should be collaborative. So we're getting the input, who is this affecting? Teachers, parents. Um, it's not really just about the teachers, although I love teachers and being a support to the teachers, but the families too, all of the stakeholders. So, I, I firmly believe that the decision making process, although I may be the one to ultimately make that final decision, it has to be based on listening to my stakeholders, really putting myself in, in their positions. Learning from them, you know, listening, reflecting, really taking the time to see like, hmm, then maybe this is something I didn't know before. Um, This is something I never thought of. Oh, wow. I never looked at it from that point of view. And then really stopping and reflecting and then making the final decision. So I believe in a collaborative approach.
0: How have your teachers responded to that so far? I mean, that's a great approach.
2: Yeah. I mean, so far, I feel like people have been happy with things that have come along. People have been felt really good about giving their input. And people have said to me, oh, I'm so glad that you were a teacher. I'm so glad that you understand. Uh, Or thank you for asking me. You know, there's been things like that. Parents Parents have been really great so far when they've had questions and we've taken the time. I've taken the time to listen. I had all last week, I was here late Wednesday night, late with one teacher, Thursday night, late with another teacher, Friday night, just late like phone calls and this and that because I need to listen, you know, and the bulk of that time, it was really like, I mean, I'm saying it over, but the listening part, the listening part is the most important and it's good. I do. I do have a lot of experiences to pull on. It's funny. One teacher said to me um, on Thursday, she's like, "Wow, she's like, you basically like you've been in every scenario. Like you know how this is, you know how that is." And it's true. I really, through all of my years, I mean, I've uh, as a kindergarten teacher, I had to work with paraprofessionals, so I know how that dynamic is a challenge. at sometimes. But then also, I mean, just as a parent, I I mean, after all these years, I can see how this may seem some certain way and you want to kind of make it a little bit easier. So I draw on my experiences, but that's after listening to see what really people need.
0: And I mean, listening is such an important tool um, in our toolbox that we can use as leaders. You talked at one point about getting back into classrooms and teaching classes. How important is that for principals to do that or leaders to do that? Because I heard you say that they were happy because you had all these experiences and you knew and you, you had lived that experience. How important is it for principals to continually get in classrooms?
2: Very important. So I'm trying to schedule my first, I have to say that I was a little bit (laughs) naive at the beginning, thinking that I was going to be in every single classroom every week doing a story in a lesson. Like, I don't know why I thought I was going to physically be able to do that, but I, I honestly did. I was like I I mean I, I didn't realize all of the different things that I now do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that and happens I, to everybody.
2: And that I must do like immediately. But I do believe it's very important. It has to be made a priority. So I so so my, my last lesson that I taught was a 5th grade. And it's the book with um Catherine uh, Johnson. The book where she it tells it tells about her journey Counting on Catherine, I believe, is the book. And I did it with one of my fifth grades because it was, you know, it's Black History Month. And I know that our teachers are, it's hard for teachers when you have this set curriculum that is so full of stuff that's mandated to then pull in, okay, it's Black History Month, it's Women's History Month, it's this. And um, if it's not right there embedded in their curriculum, which it not always is, we have a great curriculum in North Providence, we have wonders. And it is literacy rich and it's got those resources. But I just felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted to add to what they were doing. But also this particular fifth grade, I wanted to work on establishing a stronger relationship. Because I think that fifth grade is a tough year for elementary, especially when you're the top grade in elementary, because all of a sudden you're like the big kids on campus, but you're in the fifth grade. You know? (laughs) I mean, you're Ted. I mean, you know, you're not really ready for the world, but oh, yeah. it feels like you are because we're like, you're the big kids and you're setting the example. And, you know, and, you know, I really saw it. it was cute. We had um, we had World Global Play Day on Friday and it was really nice to see, you know, fifth graders bringing in dolls. And I was like, see, this is what I did when I was in fifth grade. This is what I did. And but you don't think of it that because you just see them as like these big kids. So I mean I could feel like I wanted to treat them like they were big kids and I but I also we have to maintain the respect and the rules of say like Cafe Greystone, you know? <laughs> but I didn't want to always be in their room being like we have to be respectful on the bus and the cafeteria behavior needs to be better. I wanted to get at them at a better level. a better relationship level. And this book to me prompted discussion, not on just inequity, but perseverance, which I believe is very important, especially for them as they're going on to middle school. So that was my last lesson, but I had to be very purposeful. I wasn't just like spur the moment, like, let me go in. I planned it on the weekend. I mean, I, I developed just like I would plan for when I was a teacher. I developed my my pre-questions. I had, you know, a, a graphic organizer for them. I I had it all planned out. And then I talked to the teacher to make sure what it was good for him because, you know, I'm not going to just barge in. And he did work it into his social studies block. And then I had to make sure that I blocked off that time. So nobody was, you know, bothering me at that time. So, but it's important. And now I wasn't, I didn't do that in every class that week, you know, but a couple of weeks before I was in a first grade and there was a situation when it was like a kind of a bullying type of a thing. And it was, we did a whole bullying investigation, actually. But um, it was, you know, kids picking on kids. So I went in and for that, that was impromptu from not spur of the moment, like immediately, but the day before I got, got me to thinking like, you know what, tomorrow I need to do something for that class. So the next day I went in and I prepared the book, Each Kindness, which is a really powerful story about about girls and people being not so nice, and then never having the chance to actually make up for your your um, not so niceness, not not so kindness. <laughs> so, um, and then I I created the um, hearts for them with the poem about um, the wrinkled heart. Be careful. I can't think of it now, but it's like, be careful because um, wrinkles don't go away in the heart like that when it actually it's a poem that rhymes, you know? Be think and be smart. Um, nothing can repair a wrinkled heart, something like that. So I did that lesson, but I thought, like, again, I thought of it. I planned it. It was for a purpose, and they loved it and all of that. And I am now saying that I, I want to do more of that. So it just needs to be planned carefully, communicate with the teacher, and it can happen. And I, I think it's important for for. You know it's one thing to say something to students and to teachers, but then it's different to actually be there in their in your in their space, at their level and modeling it or you know really caring like you know having discussions that matter rather than just popping in and out of rooms and seeing what the teacher's doing. You know for me, it was all about getting to know the classroom communities.
0: I, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask you why it's important that you do that, but you, you just completely answered that. But I do want to, I, I want to take it one step further. How does doing that improve your leadership and improve how you're able to support, engage or empower teachers?
2: Because the more I know about them, then the more I can, I can fully support them. It's just, it's about just establishing the relationship on both ways, like the two-way communication I can't really go in and support if I don't know really well, like what's even happening. And the only way to really know is to be there.
0: Excellent. And, and one of those ways to support is resources. So I did say this a few minutes ago that when you were talking earlier, you talked about how this all kind of started because you were offering resources to teachers Mm -hmm. and you noticed that it was helpful because they were letting, you know, it was helpful.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because (laughs) I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I wrote that, that's really the reason why I wrote the book too. When I wrote Educate the Heart, that was why, because I wanted to make more of an impact than I could while I was teaching. But then I still wasn't feeling the impact was really there. So then that was when I knew I had to be a principal. (laughs) I forgot about that, but that's the reason why I wrote the book. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit do you yeah. have let's see if we can help you make a little more impact <laughs> and explain to people a little about a little bit about your books so the listeners hear it and maybe they'll go out and check it out I'll put a link oh. in the show notes well thank you well no let's talk about it
2: so educate the heart was written because number one at that time and now don't forget this is before covid I was starting to feel in the classroom and also at home with my own kids like technology was kind of like taking control Like, are we ever not on devices? Like, it was like craziness. But that was one part of it. The other part was the social-emotional learning part. I always felt that so much, so, so strongly that social-emotional learning should not be a component of the day. Like, we would have this curriculum in Providence called Caring Classrooms, and I, I like the program. It's nothing wrong. But the thing is, is that, you know, the principal would say, oh, do it during your morning meeting. And like, that's not social emotional learning is not a subject that you do for one part of the day. It's woven into, and you're laughing because you know, it's woven into everything that you do. Like social, like it's the way that you talk to kids is the way that you encourage children to cooperate with each other. It is being mindful of the activities that you do, that they're diverse and that you're reaching all levels. You're not just teaching to that middle level. That's all, if you do all of that, then you have a beautiful, a very healthy social, emotional environment where you wouldn't need to then take a whole other time of your day to say, okay, now we're going to talk about being nice. Or now we're going to talk about responsibility because that should have already been your expectation all day, every day. So I wanted to write, so I was blogging and I would blog these ideas And someone said to me, um, when's your book coming out? And I was just like laughing, like, oh, you know, the blog is good. And I'm just happy that people read it and all of that. And I would do a lot of um, like uh, blogs about STEM challenges and blogs about activities based on literature. So anyway, I did decide that it was like one random day. It was November. <laughs> I think it was like, no, I think it was Veterans Day, actually. It was Veterans Day. So it was 2000, November of 2018. And I looked at some different publishers that I would see like on Twitter and things. And I talked to Brian Aspinall, who worked with Dave Burgess. And I talked to Dave Burgess. I talked to like several, several people. And I talked to Doug Campbell. And he, put me in the direction of Roman and Littlefield. So Roman and Littlefield to me felt like more the kind of publisher that the book that I wanted to write would be because I didn't want it to be stories in my life. I didn't want it to be a memoir. I didn't want it to have anything to do with me. I wanted it to be strictly resources that somebody could pick up and guide them in their classroom to make a better environment but also screen free. (laughs) So um, I looked on Roman and Littlefield and there's a section that says for authors or for manuscripts or something. And it was so overwhelming. It was like craziness. And then I was like, I don't know, like it's a lot of stuff. And I said to Doug, I'm like, it's so much stuff. He's like, what are you talking about? Just do it. It was like, you had to develop a chapter list, two chapters. You needed like your resume. You needed three references You needed to do um, like explanation of who was going to buy your book, how you would promote the book. You have to find people that maybe would review it for you. Like all of this, it was so much stuff, but I did it. So um, in the meantime, I weighed out some other offers and some other people who had shown me different avenues to go. And, but I, I did this for Roman Littlefield, and they immediately called me and they were like, we love your idea. And I didn't have the title Educate the Heart. I just knew it was going to be screen-free activities for social-emotional learning. And they were like, we love your idea. And do you think you could do it for pre-K to six? And do you think you would have this? And I was like, yeah, you know. So then, there. so, and by that time when I sent it to them, it was December. I had already written two chapters because I needed to. That's part of what they needed. So they took it. My they. I answered questions. They took it to another level. Another level. Then they offered me a contract, which I signed, and um, and then here it is. I mean, I kept going. So every chapter is completely different, and every idea is completely different. All together, there are hundred and eighty different activities. But when you say activity, it's not like like an activity. But it's not like um, huh. there are more ideas. I say activities but they are more ideas that you can expand in different ways. So the first chapter is all about how to empower students to handle conflict through kindness. So every chapter has 15 ideas. So, and then it's um, all about flexible seating because, you know, giving children choice in their seating is actually a very important part of social emotional learning, making them feel comfortable. Like, it's funny that I say that because at my school today, we just got new furniture, but I wasn't part of the decision making process of that because I'm new and this was ordered a long time ago. But um, I, the furniture, the furniture is beautiful. But I mean, I, 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 a lot of flex, I feel like maybe some flexibility I mean, it's beautiful. They're beautiful desks, and they can be they can be um, fit into different ways to make collaborative workspace. So that's the most important part. But in the book, I talk about really, really different kinds of flexible seating, and how to how to make that work. Because I know that at that time, this was a few years ago, flexible seating was only like mm, like bits and pieces. Like maybe some people had a wobble stool here and there. Maybe some people were starting with those bouncy chairs, but a lot of people were overwhelmed or just didn't want to deal with it because it's like, how do you manage that? And how do you have like, how do you have kids choose? You have like one wobble stool and you have one beanbag chair. How is that? So anyway, I have in there how you make that work, setting expectations in a whole system. Um, and then I have math based on literature, but they are not just like a math activity based on literature. They, they show you how you can use the literature opportunities for mathematical discourse and how you can adapt it to many different levels because everything in the book it's got it's k to it's pre-k to six so they're all very adaptable and i call out more than 200 maybe 250 children's books but they can always be changed too like you know you can get a similar there's recipes there's stem challenges there's author studies um, there's one chapter that's all about discipline without using a clip chart, which I am very, very, very against about expanding. I, I think my favorite chapter is actually the last one. It's about, although I, art integration for me is like big, but the last one is my favorite because it's called The Communities Beyond Your Classroom Community, and it's it's about some new ways to actually reach out beyond your classroom into your community and make
0: meaningful learning happen. So, cool.
2: yeah. So that's, um, <laughs> that <is the> book. <laughs> you can,
0: you can go on your book forever. Um, that's, that's awesome. I, and, and what a great story about, you know, believing in yourself and, um, betting on yourself. The, I, I mean, it sounds like it would be great for leaders to pick a copy of that up because, they could share it with their teachers. Yeah. And then they'd know that if their teachers are doing something different or trying to go with, in a different direction in their classrooms, they'd know to support them in doing that because it's not just willy-nilly. It's they they got yeah, it from somewhere. It's not,
2: so. it's not like, and that's why I wanted to go with Roman and Littlefields as a publisher because they have more serious academic books. But you know, it's funny, when I interviewed for this job here in North Providence, there was a principal on the committee at from Centerdale And that's, we only have five elementary schools in North Providence. So I'm at Greystone and the principal at Centerdale was on the interview committee. And I knew that one of her teachers, Alana Davis, who's a first grade teacher, was using my book and um, other teachers at her school, her and other teachers at the school were using my book as their PGG because they wanted to incorporate SEL and they were using it. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I, I, I didn't, it didn't strike me as something that would ever, <laughs> I mean, benefit me. I mean, I was happy with yes. to know that because she was at my book. She's a girl I know from from Providence. And she bought the book. She was at my book signing and she texted me maybe about September, October. She goes, I just want you to know that me and my other teachers, friend teachers, are using your book as our, as our PGG and we really love it and all that. And then I was like, wow, that's so awesome. And I thought that, but then who would know that, like, I'd be interviewing with this girl's principal and be like, oh, by the way, your teachers are using my book as their PGG.
0: <laughs> that must have been surreal.
2: Yeah. and She was <laughs> like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I wrote Educate the Heart. She's like, wow, cool.
0: <laughs> hey, so you told us a lot about your book. You talked a lot about other stuff with teaching lessons and things like that. I do want to ask you, because it seems like you would have quite the opinion about this um, or vision for this would be a better way of putting it. What school should look like for students and teachers? But um, before we answer that, I want to take a quick break for our sponsors and then we'll come right back. Okay. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the place out of the box leaders in education turn to to grow their leadership skills. Maybe you're interested in making better decisions, creating your idea week, or building a world-class culture. Learn more at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com. That's BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com. I use Anchor to distribute the seeing-to-lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right. And we're back with Jennifer. And we just um, finished her explaining what a great resource her book is. And, you know, in the first half of this, she started talking a lot about the importance of principals going in and teaching lessons, because then they see the experience that teachers are having so they can better support them. So the listener from the first half of this can really tell that, you know, Jennifer, you do a lot about supporting with resources, engaging and empowering teachers. In your world or your vision, what would schools look like for teachers and students in a perfect world? Let's say.
2: Well, <laughs> well <laughs> in a perfect world, yeah. I would like to see um, the. I would like to see uh, critical thinking, collaboration, creativity. I would like to see that as valued, and I would like to see that as a, a priority in how we, um, approach our curriculum. So, so focusing on, we, we have things that we need to cover in the curriculum and I'm, we need to prepare these children for the world, for jobs, for all that, for making a difference. But with that, there should be also a set of guidelines, a set of behaviors that we want our children to come out. The curiosity, the growth mindset. Um, I feel like a lot of times, like that, is stifled. We're trying to get kids to score really, really, really high on these uh, high-stakes testing, high-stake tests. And I get that. I get it. And I want my students at Greystone and my own children. I want them to be academically successful, and I want them to know what they need to know in um, you know every everything in math and English and reading and all of that. But I, I believe that it could be done and should be done without destroying the curiosity and the the being able to work together collaboratively, more than just cooperating, but collaborating. I believe we need to, we need to help children to do this. Um, And the critical thinking is very, very, very important, which is added actually to a lot of the high stakes testing. They're asking them to look at problems in different ways and come to their own Um, decisions without just giving a straightforward answer. And I believe that this could happen with the mindset is what needs to be helped. Teaching is a profession that we should always be learning, you know, and that's easier said than done because sometimes, you know, you're busy, you know, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're preparing kids for RICAS and you're And you're um, making sure they're all in the class picture. And this one's got this allergy and this parent's worried about this and um, and how are they feeling today? And um, so I believe that there needs to be time allotted for this professional development learning that is not just, you know, a once in a while faculty meeting or not just a day long professional development session session. Um, that the entire district attends. I believe it should be embedded. So for that to happen, um, and I'm going to reference Finland. I know in Finland, they have every day, uh, they have teacher time where they collaborate. Not their break, like they have a break and a lunch and all of that, but teacher time during the day where where they're planning, with other individuals or the administrator or both. And I believe that's very, very important. I would like to have more planning time for my teachers within the school day so that they're not walking into kids, leaving with kids with only that one lunch and break. That really is their own time. You know, I would like that time. And then it's the leader's job. And actually it's everyone's job to kind of tend to see what do we need how can, we, how can we bring it forth to them? Because teaching is always going to be, I can remember when I started 25 years ago, you think you're graduated and you know everything and you're going to just teach. And then you realize that, oh, wow, like I didn't learn this in college or that or that. And that never stops. So the learning time, it needs to, uh, we all need to be in that mindset. But the, also it needs to be provided for the teachers, the time and the actual uh, substantial professional development, not what we're seeing a lot of sometimes we do see a lot of fluff and not going on teacher paid teacher and like downloading a ton of resources because this one teacher who's on, um, Twitter is making it all look so like fancy, like, no, it needs to be purposefully thought out. (laughs) And for, and it has to, there always has to be a, a major, Like, what are we doing? Are we just doing something because it's new? Are we doing something because that's a need in our school with our population?
0: And that's so important with what you said about how things keep changing and we have to keep learning because that is not, that's not just students. That's not just teachers. That's leaders, administrators, everybody, you know, every step I know. And it's funny that you said when you came out of school, you knew everything, right? Until you started teaching (laughs) and then you were like, wait a minute. Boy, every level you go through when that, that happens, when you're a teacher, that happens when you become an assistant principal, that happens become, when you become a principal. It's like, really, this is part of the job. Like I'm supposed to know how to do this. But yeah, um, yeah so that's that's important. You know, you've spent a, a lot of time and energy in educational practices and things like that. If if you weren't an educator, this is one of the, my last two questions that I ask everybody as we get closer to the end of the podcast if you were an educator, who, not what, would you be?
2: Hmm, I can't, I, I can't even really imagine not having <laughs> something to do with education. I really can't. But it would have to be, because everything's education. I mean, like everything's, edu- like, you know, but it would have to be something to do with books, literacy. Um, I feel like it would definitely be to do with writing. Um, either writing for children or writing. See, but then it would be education too. It's very, very hard to find a field that's not education that I would like actually <laughs> make sense <laughs> at. But <laughs> I would maybe be a writer.
0: Okay. Kind of <laughs> now now why, why writer?
2: Because um, I'm always thinking and I write a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I re- I'm very reflective. Yeah. I have a very vivid imagination. I grew up with a book in my. Like I was born like with a book in my hand. I read every chapter series before kindergarten because my dad taught me how to read at a very young age. Ramona was my friend. All the Judy Bloom characters were my friends. Like I lived in that world, and still a big part of me now. Even as a principal, I'm thinking about what characters have, do they not know about? And, and on the weekends on my social media for Greystone, I do a post like every day during the school week, I do a post of something that happened that day, you know, either something in the preschool or something my fifth graders doing or whatever. But, um, on Saturday, I just say Greystone recommends and I show kids with books that they like. And it takes me, I go in the rooms and I say, does anybody have a book for Greystone recommends? And they show, they show it to me. So, I mean, I'm very centered on even now as a principal, I'm into like, what are you reading? What do you like? And have you read this? And why do you like that? So it would have to be something to do, if not education, books. But, see, books are still education, but I'm just going to say books. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> you answered that. You <laughs> yeah, answered that. I would own a bookstore.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. No, it's interesting why you would do that, though. And it's because of your imagination. You've got a lot to say and you think there's... You know, there's a whole, there's a whole richness to life to be found in those stories. And now I, I have to ask this because my wife does this, and we almost make a game out of it sometimes. If we're somewhere and we're people watching, or um, I remember when we were looking for a house to buy and we'd go in and look at somebody's house, she makes up stories. She's got a vivid imagination as well, and she would make up a story about the people that lived in the house or the people that we're looking <laughs> at. Have you ever done that with your yeah, vivid imagination? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just curious. So yeah, but, so.
2: like I, I, but I, then I think it's like true. I'm like, Oh, I know right. them.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So that's, that's a good thing. It's that's see, your story is very familiar to me. So
1: um,
0: I've got one more question for you before, before we take off today and it, you know, whether it's a culmination of everything or however you approach it, what's the most important thing leaders need to remember? As they work to better support and engage and empower their teachers.
2: Listen <laughs> to listen. They need to listen. And you know what? I came to this realization. Uh, I had my same, same, same backdrop on my Twitter and on my LinkedIn and on my Facebook, probably since my book came out when Julie Woodard did some artwork for me based on the book. But then um, I heard this actually from my friend, Tom, he said something, I don't know what it was. And it was listen, learn and lead. And I was like, yeah, I was like, this is what's working for me. And I made my own little like um artwork of it. And I put it there because not only, does it make sense to me, but it's something that I always want to remember that you have to listen and not just listen like you're sitting there and the person's talking and you're sitting there, but really think about what they're saying and realize who you are and what your position is and what can you do for that person. Ask the important questions, uh, reflect, and realize that you're learning, you know? And only after you listen and learn what you need to learn can you then actually lead and this is what this is what I you know I mean my word of the year you know like my one word I chose was service and for me this is steps to get me to do that to do the serving
0: fantastic answer and in that answer was the title I'm going to use for this episode listen learn and lead
2: oh thank (laughs) you that (laughs) so
0: hey hey you've you've said a a ton of good things today jennifer and if if anybody wants to get in touch with you what's the best way they can reach out and get in touch with you
2: um i i would say my email maybe my north providence email or my gmail either one i mean you can direct mess me you can i mean i get a lot of direct messages on social media with Instagram, I'm Jen Quattrucci. Twitter, I'm Jen Quattrucci. Facebook, I'm Jennifer Lee Quattrucci. I think uh, LinkedIn is my name. I mean, people, people seem to get a hold of me. <laughs> people seem to uh, know how to reach me. but I, okay. I email's good. I like you. I, I prefer email if it's like a serious inquiry.
0: Okay. And You're
2: not pre- just like, hi. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sounds good I'll tell you what I'll put all those in the show notes
2: okay and
0: we'll have your book definitely linked up in the show notes because all the resources uh, resources it offers thank you and yeah I'm very appreciative that you came on today and, and I'm so glad that we finally were able to make it happen it was well worth the wait so thank you thank
2: you so much this was such a great hour I really appreciate it
0: well that's a wrap but not the end next step Be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway learn more at drcsjones.blog continue to improve and go have a successful week
1: and now a quick word from our sponsor jigsaw learning whether you lead at the school district or division level you're serving a wide array of students and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan To help collaborative response thrive in your organization learn why educators have described working with jigsaw learning as powerful wonderful and beneficial for all students visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information that's jigsawlearning.ca
0: there are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it but when do they actually do all those things Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be.